All right, you can grab a seat and you can grab a Bible or turn on your Bible app to the book of Mark. We'll be in chapter 8 this morning, beginning in verse 27. Today, I want to talk to you about the cost of following the Christ. The cost of following the Christ. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how many of you knew this, but uh, Friday, it was, does anyone know what Friday was? It was Friday. It was also National Donut Day. Did anyone, did anyone get a free donut from Dunks? I'm just curious. I see some hands going up. Don't, be sh- don't, don't, don't feel no shame, all right? We can eat a donut every now and again to, to the glory of God. Uh, you know, maybe three or four on occasion. Uh, maybe I'm getting a little risky there. But, uh, you know, so I missed it. I was planning on it, and I missed it. But that's okay. Next year. There's always next year, right? Um, maybe, you, maybe you knew that. Maybe you did not know that on May 25th, which happens to be the day our nine-year-old turned 10, uh, was also National Wine Day. National Wine Day. I want to I show you a picture of a, a special bottle of wine. It happens to be the most expensive bottle of wine ever sold in the history of the world. This is a 1945 Romani Conti bottle of wine. Yes, it cost $558,000. $558,000. You say, well, Tanner, what, why would anyone pay that for a bottle of wine? And my answer is, I have no clue. But there are some facts about this bottle of wine. It's widely considered to be the best Burgundy wine in the world. And the 1945 version, only 600 bottles were prepared. And it was the last year before they pulled up their older prized vines to replace them with younger vines. This is part of the reason why this astronomical value uh, exists among wine connoisseurs. And just so you know, uh, I have nothing against a good bottle of wine. I think that, you know, the Bible is clear. Drunkenness is a sin. Social drinking in moderation doesn't seem to be a sin anywhere in the Bible. You know, I actually used to believe that when I was growing up. It's like a taste, like I can't taste. Uh, So, you know, but use wisdom and be led by the Holy Spirit. That's the rules that we follow in accordance with the scripture. Uh, But I just want to say this. If you have an extra half a million dollars laying around, okay, please do not go buy this bottle of wine. Okay, give it to Redemption Hill Church so we can buy a building one day and start more churches. All right, Just, just saying. Anyone for that? Yes, thank you very much. I'm glad. That's your yes. I hear those claps as your yes to that commitment. So thank you very much. Maybe you inherit a couple million, whatever. Okay, never, never mind. I digress. Uh, so l- l- listen, let's just, let's just imagine that we uh, find ourselves, you know, uh, 20, 24 years from now uh, in 2045. And the owner of this bottle of wine says, you know what, I bought that bottle 27 years ago in 2018, and you know, I don't know how much longer I'm going to live, so how about we bring in the new year by popping this bottle of wine? And, and let's just imagine that uh, one of our RHC students, you know, may, maybe a middle schooler who's just come out of their introduction to, to chemistry, you know, and they've learned to use an eyedropper. 
They, they go and they, they fill their little eyedropper with, you know, 10 drops of Vermont pure water. And they say, you know what? I'm going to go improve upon this 1945 by dropping my 10 drops in the bottle. What's going to happen to our middle schooler? They're going to be on the ground with their eyedropper because security is going to take them out, right? Now, why is that? If this is the most valuable, precious bottle of wine in the world, then to do anything to it, even one micro drop of water, would dilute it. To dilute something is to lessen the force, strength, purity, or brilliance of that thing. And as we think about what it means to follow Jesus, as we think about the essence of the Christian life, we run an infinitely greater danger because we are dealing with something that is infinitely more valuable. That is the good news of Jesus Christ and what it means to follow him. But what we need to understand, this is the bias of the human heart and the, the American expression of the, the, the sinfulness of the human heart uh, will, will show us that we have a really strong ability to dilute what it means to follow Jesus. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about this in his classic work, The Cost of Discipleship. He says this, he talks about grace becoming cheap. He says, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. So when we come to Mark chapter 8, we get a clear picture of what it means to walk with Jesus, follow him, and live out discipleship. When we talk about discipleship, we're simply talking about following Jesus, just living our lives with and for Jesus Christ. So I would love for you to listen carefully as I read Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through chapter 9, verse 1. This is what Mark writes. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Verse 31, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. 
And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come in power. Today, I want to ask you two questions. Two questions that arise right out of this text that will help us wrestle with what Jesus is saying in a personal way. The first question is simply this. Do you believe Jesus is the Christ? It's a real question for you to answer in real time right now this morning. Whether you are worshiping him after high school, you are worshiping online. Okay, I am asking you like Jesus is asking his disciples, do you believe Jesus is the Christ? You see, as the story goes, Jesus has just come out of the village of Bethsaida and he's walking to the villages in the area of Caesarea Philippi. We know, as Mark will tell us, that Jesus is now, this is a turning point in Mark's gospel. He is now on his way to Jerusalem where he just told us he is going to give his life for the world. And so as they are traveling on the way, which is an illusion, a metaphorical illusion for what it means to follow Jesus on the way, the journey of discipleship, he asks them life's most important question. Who do people say that I am. And I mean, no one had ever seen anyone like Jesus doing the things that he was doing, giving sight to the blind, giving hearing to the deaf, uh, helping the lame people walk. Even we saw in Mark 4, 5, uh, raising a little girl from the dead. Who is this person? The disciples asked it in the boat in Mark 4. The wind and the, the sea even obey him. Who is this? So people tried to start coming up with the answers. They said, hey, maybe he's John the Baptist. This was probably Herod's uh, answer, as we saw in Mark chapter 6, where uh, he, he thinks that maybe, you know, somehow John the Baptist has reincarnated to avenge his death that Herod gave permission for. Others say Elijah. If we go back and read the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament, there was this expectation that Elijah would return before the coming of the Messiah. And still others would give different answers. One of the prophets, maybe Jeremiah, maybe Malachi, maybe a prophet like Moses as Deuteronomy 18, 15 talks about. 
Which, by the way, all of these figures, okay, are not the kind of portrait of Jesus that you will find oftentimes in a children's Bible. As great as those pictures are of Jesus with his tenderness and his humility, maybe holding a little lamb as the good shepherd. Okay, let me tell you something. I'm not making a caricature of that because that is Jesus. But that's not the complete portrait of Jesus. Jesus was a fierce leader who would prophetically speak to the people and tell them who God is and how they needed to change their ways. But then Jesus, after he says, well, hey, who do the crowds say that I am? He makes it personal. He says, but who do you say that I am? And if you want to know something about Jesus, okay, uh, he will always make it personal. He, he will not allow us to deal with him in abstract terms, okay? He will ask us point blank, who do you say that I am? And we know there are so many answers to this question these days. Jesus, what, a, what an amazing teacher. He has so much wisdom. I want to learn from him. Jesus, what an amazing moral example. If I just followed the example of his life, I'll be good to go. Jesus, a great philosopher who's showing us a new sacrificial way to love the people around us. Jesus, a great addition to my already pretty perfect life. So I'll take a look, you know, Lots of conversations about Jesus. I need some, some Jesus in my life. I've heard this multiple times. I need, I need some Jesus in my life. That don't work. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus sets the terms and those are not the terms. Jesus was a great man, but, but God, I can't buy that. In all of these assertions, what? They drop waters of, little water drops of dilution to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus was more than a good teacher. He was more than a great example. He was more than a philosopher who showed us a way to live life. C.S. Lewis captures this in his classic work, Mere Christianity. Listen to what Lewis says. He says, a man who was merely... A man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let none of us come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left us open to that. He did not intend to. We have to decide. Listen, today I'm pleading with you. You have to decide what you believe. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? This, this was Peter's response, right? Peter, speaking up for the, 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 the disciples, he says, you are the Christ. What he's saying is, Jesus, you are the long 
promised king. You are the one who was promised for hundreds of years to come and to restore the kingdom of God, to show us God's ways and to, 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 to bring about the world that we long for. But even here, Peter probably doesn't see the full picture that will continue to unfold to where he would say, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. So I just want to ask you this morning, what, what about you? What about you? Listen, I, I understand it. I get it. We all, we all come from different places in the journey. Listen, if you are here today and we always have people in our midst, we love it, who have not yet said like, hey, I, I'm all in with Jesus. I'm following Jesus with my life. I'm giving everything over to him. Listen, if that's you today, uh, we welcome you and we're so thankful that you're here. But, but at some point, your exploration of Jesus has to move to a decision about Jesus. Because, listen, 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 listen. A non-decision is a decision. We have to decide, Jesus, are you the Christ? Jesus, did you die for my sin on the cross? Jesus, did you rise from the dead, proving that everything you said about yourself and our world and my life is true? But then as we move on, in verse 31, we see that Jesus brings a, a great surprise here. Uh, we see that he says that he's the kind of king who will not conquer through human force, but he will actually conquer through suffering. In verse 31, he starts to tell of his death. He says uh, in verse 31 that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by all the religious leaders and killed, but after three days rise from the dead. This is the climactic moment in Mark's gospel where the confession of Christ is made and then we see that, that Jesus says, okay, this is who I am. I am the Christ, but I am the Christ who is going to pay the cost of the cross and die in your place. Jesus was born to die. Look at, look at the language here. It's so specific. It says, the son of man must suffer. Jesus, Jesus said, this is a necessity. I must go to the cross and die for the sin of the world. And the disciples, listen, they can't, they can't believe it. Peter is so taken back by this that, that he, I mean, just picture this. I mean, we've maybe, if you've been around the Bible much, you've heard this story, but let's just think about what's happening here, okay? Peter is like, you're the Christ. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're gonna take over. You're gonna rule. And Jesus says, not like that. In fact, I'm going to go and I'm going to die. And Peter's like, can we just have a conversation, Jesus? Can we just, can we just talk like, listen, I, I know you, you're really wise and you've done some amazing things and you've even raised people from the dead, um, but, but, but you are out of your mind. You are not going to die. I mean, this is what Peter is. It says, it says, did you see in the text? It says that Peter began to rebuke him. I mean, here's a word for the wise. This is, this is just some free info for you, okay? It is not smart to rebuke God. But it, it also is important to recognize when we do. Because we can, we can make fun of Peter. We can chastise Peter. Hey, Peter, you're pulling Jesus away. You're rebuking him. 
But how many times in our own life, God, what are you doing? God, this isn't going according to my plan. God, like, I know you, you made the world and everything in it, but uh, can, I, can I just call the shots, like, this time? And, and Jesus, it seems that he even, he sees the disciples, and so he has to, he has to publicly re rebuke Peter for his public sin, and, and he says to him, where everyone can hear it, get behind me, Satan. Satan was God, is God's arch enemies. He's the one who opposes God in every, every form and every way, and then opposes us and the people of God. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Jesus is teaching him that nothing will stop him from going to the cross. Nothing will stop him from sacrificing his life for us. And so if this was not shocking enough, that, that, that the Messiah, the deliverer, will be a suffering Messiah, a suffering servant... He goes on in verse 34 to help the disciples understand what it means to, that he is the Christ and what it means to follow him. And he says, look, if you're going to follow me, you have to live in the same kind of ways. In verse 34, look at it. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The first question that we have to answer today is, do we believe Jesus is the Christ? But if you believe that, if you believe that Jesus lived the perfect life that you can't live and he died in your place on the cross that you might have life through faith in him, then these are the terms of what it looks like to have faith in him and follow him. Which leads us to our second question. Are you willing to pay any price to follow him? Will you pay any cost to follow Jesus? Jesus is saying here, beginning in verse 34, if you really want to follow me, if you are really following me in these days, this is what it looks like. He begins by saying, if you want to follow me, you first must deny yourself. Jesus is not saying that we have to give up who we are, that our personality changes, okay? God made us all different. He made us all beautiful in his design, okay? So it's not about, you know, becoming someone different or, or losing our sense of personality, nor does it mean that we become ascetics. An ascetic is someone that denies every kind of material comfort or pleasure in life so that, so that they can show how devoted they are to God. What Jesus is getting at here is he's saying that, that we have to be willing, we have to be willing to sacrifice anything that would come in between a wholehearted, whole life response to following him. We have to be committed to not our desires, but his desires. Not our plans, but his plans. Not our will for our lives, but his will for our lives. Because this is something that we understand. Like if we're, if we're being honest, if you're willing to be honest here today, okay, there's one thing that we all know about ourselves. 
we're all very good at looking out for us, right? Like, like self-interest, it's just like we don't have to work hard at that. We don't have to wake up and say, oh man, I'm going to look out for myself today. I'm going to do what I want to do. Like, oh man, God, please help me to, to do what I, to do what I want to do today because I, I just, that's really hard for me. That's, that's not our lives, right? We're constantly looking out for ourselves. We're constantly living with self-interest. But Jesus says, listen, if, if, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. You have to set aside your, your selfish desires and, and follow my desires. But then he levels it up. He says, not only deny yourself, but he says, take up your cross. As we know, the, the cross was an instrument of a torturous and humili humiliating and excruciating death. And, and, and what Jesus here is saying is he's saying that we must be willing to die to ourselves. Not just deny ourselves, but die to ourselves. We have to be willing to take up our cross and say, the old me is dead. The old way of living is dead. I am now called to live a brand new life as I follow Jesus. This is what Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. What is he saying? I died. And I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I want to ask you in very clear, practical terms, listen, are you willing to die for Jesus? Are you willing to die? Listen, this is, this is not a metaphorical question, okay? This isn't like, hey, you know, no, I'm talking about would you be willing to bleed to death if it means following Jesus cost you your physical life? Like, I'm talking tombstone and everything. This is a question we must answer. Because when we follow Jesus, listen, this is so, this is so important. When we follow Jesus, we are saying, Jesus, you are better. You are worth it. I will pay any cost to follow you, even if it costs me my very life. Jesus, I'm following you. But, but here's, a, here's a more difficult question. I really believe there's something more difficult than martyrdom. What's dif more difficult than, than martyrdom, giving your physical life for the sake of Jesus, is dying every single day. Are you willing to die for Jesus every single day? This is exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I die every day. The old me is done. I am now living my life completely for Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ. In the gospel of Luke, he captures the language of Jesus when he says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. You say, oh, Pastor Tanner, what does this, what does this look like? 
what would it look like for me to die every day? Here are just a few thoughts. We die to our desires. Some, some clearly that are sinful, that are contrary to God's uh, plan for our lives, God's commands for our life. Okay, we need to die to those sinful desires. But we also need to die to our, our good desires that are getting in the way of the best desires of giving ourselves to God and his kingdom first. It might look like dying to our agenda so that we wake up. We wake up and say, God, what do you have for me today? God, God, you are in charge of my life. So whatever you have, however long you want me to do X, Y, or Z, whoever you want me to talk to today, okay, my yes is on the table. It's not my agenda, but it's your agenda. It might mean dying to our comfort. We don't have to have the nicest thing. We don't have to have the 1945, okay? Uh, We would rather give than receive. It may mean dying to our dreams. What if God has a different dream for your life than your dream for your life? Are you willing to die to it so that you can follow his path and his plan? This is what some people call, I love this, the the cruciformed way of living, that our, our lives are in the shape of a cross. We die every day. We say, God, my life is yours. My life is in your hands. Whatever you want today, God. This is what Jesus taught us to pray. Now, my will, but your will be done. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life, in their life, in our life, in our city. Heaven touch earth. And and heaven touch earth in me. I dare you to pray it. I dare you. I dare you. I dare you to pray it. I'm just going to keep preaching this. You heard it about a month ago, okay? Listen, Pastor Tanner is increasingly caring less. I could care less. Is that how you say it? I always mix that up. I could not care less. Is that? Thank you. Yeah, my wife always corrects me. She's not me now. All right, it's like, I, I, I don't care if you walk out of the church today, the high school, the presence of the people of God is the church, okay? We're the church, okay? You get it. Like, I don't care if you leave today and you pat me, like, Pastor Tanner, oh, you were on fire today. Pastor Tanner, what a great word. Oh, Pastor Tanner, I just, oh, you opened up the scriptures and, I mean, there's a place for encouragement, right? But what we, what we care about is, is Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Waking up and saying, God, your agenda God, your will for my life today. That's what we care about. Anything less, listen, anything less is to dilute the cost of discipleship. When we add a little drop of self-interest or we add a drop of our agenda, what, what about this drop? The drop of and I've been there. Listen, I've been there. To my shame, I've been there. Just this once, God. Just, just this once. Like, God, I know you're forgiving, and you'll forgive me if I just, the, 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 tonight, just this once, God. What about the drops of apathy and complacency? What about the drops of prayerlessness? Don't dilute the cost of discipleship. 
don't dilute what it means to follow Jesus. And listen, I am, I am so thankful. I am so thankful to be a part of that. If you're new to Redemption Hill, you are stepping into a church of, of a people who don't get this perfectly, okay, but are getting this in an increasing fashion. I'm so thankful for people like Jesse Francois, shout out Jesse, and David Ephraim uh, and, and Tim Tran who have been serving almost not every Sunday, but the vast majorities of Sundays since we reopened in August, they have been here almost every single Sunday. Can we just give it up for some people like that that are, that are saying, yes, that are saying, Jesus, my life is yours. I'm so thankful for who we're going to introduce at the end of our service for four summer link interns who are saying, I'm going to give two months of my life to serve the mission of God in Boston. Or two new staff associates who have said, I'm going to give two years of my life to serve the mission of God in Boston. I'm so thankful for Emma Lombard who said, in addition to my full-time job and serving in my local church, I'm going to go above and beyond and I'm going to go to seminary so I can get further trained to make disciples in my local church and grow as a servant of God. We need men of God and we need women of God who are saying Jesus is first and I'll do anything to follow him. I'm so thankful for my wife who, who stayed up till 2.30 on Tuesday night to be with a woman in the hospital who had no one else. I'm so thankful for the Agbula family who are going to be moving across the state of Massachusetts to start a new church there. I'm so thankful for my friend, Sony Cherry Kalat, who, who's been at our pre-service and, and prayer and fire nights almost every time for the past year. And I could keep going about so, so, so many of you who are answering the cost of discipleship, who are saying, because listen, 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 I love this. Okay, and I'm going to wrap up with this pretty soon. Okay, but listen. Deny yourself, die to yourself. Is that costly? You're dang right it's costly. But listen, it's worth it. It's worth it. The, the reward, you want to talk about uh, cost-benefit analysis? Some of you guys do this at work all the time with your charts and your, your graphs and your, your whiteboards, okay? Listen, cost-benefit analysis, the cost is always so much lower than the reward. Because listen, when we deny ourselves and we die to ourselves, we are only doing that because we are following Jesus. When we follow Jesus, we are following the God-man, the embodiment of life, the one who is the resurrection and the life, the one who is joy personified, the one who gives us true peace in life. This is what it means to follow him. It's always worth it. It's always worth it. You may be here today and you may be counting the cost. Hey, Jesus, is he God? Did he die for me? Did he rise again? And if he did, is it worth following him? And I'm here to tell you as someone who's trying to die every day, it's always worth it. He is always better. Jesus is after our ultimate allegiance. 
And I love how he wraps this thing up because, listen, again, Jesus spells it out here in plain terms. He says, I, I know the cost is great and I know it's going to cost you your life. But listen, if you give up your life for me, you're going to find it. You're going to save it. Verse 35, he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. If you're willing to deny yourself and die to yourself daily, you are going to find abundant and eternal life. What he is implying here is a failure. Listen to me, please, everyone don't miss this. A failure to deny yourself now, now and die to yourself now is a commitment to spend eternity apart from God forever. And to miss out on abundant life right now. So this is why Lewis also would say, die before you die, there's no chance afterwards. Die before you die, there's no chance afterwards. But when we die today, we find life today and tomorrow. And when we die today, we find in verse 36, he says, it doesn't profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. Listen, we can have everything and have nothing, but we can also have nothing but have Jesus and have everything. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So much so that Jesus would go on and say, listen, if you're ashamed of me and, and my words, then, then I'll be ashamed of you on that day. But, but the flip side is also true. If you're not ashamed of me now, then you can count on the fact that I won't be ashamed of you then. That we'll enter into eternity with him forever. Jesus is inviting us to a costly commitment that is worth it every single time. Bonhoeffer goes on in his book to say this. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has it is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake one will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. The gift which must be asked for. The door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it cost a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. This is the point of today's message. If Jesus is the Christ, we should pay any price to follow him. If Jesus is the Christ, we should pay any price to follow him. And so what I want to do is, is this. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, and, and I'm going to invite the music team to go ahead and come up. But I just invite everyone to bow your head and close your eyes in these moments. And just, and just speak with God. Wherever you are individually, listen, no one knows your story better than God does. He knows exactly where you are in your journey through life. He knows exactly where you are in your spiritual journey. 
You can't fool him. And so listen, maybe for some of you today, you are, you are hearing this and you are, you are just by the Holy Spirit, you know that this is what you need. You need to follow Jesus. You need to commit your life to follow him. You need to deny yourself and take up your cross and say, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere, anytime, do anything because you are God and I want to give my life to you. And so listen, if that's you today, I would just ask you to begin crying out to God right now and say, God, I need you in my life. I believe that Jesus is the Christ and he died in my place and rose again that I might have life. And so I commit my life to follow you. If that's you, just cry out to God right now. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you, I just want to see your, your fresh commitment to follow Jesus today. So if you would just raise your hand to let me know that you are saying, hey, today I am starting my journey with Jesus. If you'll just raise it super high so I can see you, so I can pray for you wherever you are. Anyone else? Anyone else? Awesome. Anyone else? I want to pray for you in just a moment, but I also want to pray for another group a group of people that would say, Pastor Tanner, I've been following Jesus for, for, for months, for years. But there are some things that I need to give up. There are some things that have gotten in, in the way. Maybe it's your agenda. Maybe it's your comfort. Maybe it's apathy. Maybe it's just not being willing to set aside the good things in your life so you can pursue what is best. So if that's you today, I would ask you just to also raise your hand to say today I want to make a fresh commitment in my relationship with Jesus Christ to follow him with everything that I've got. If that's you, just raise your hand super high because I want to pray for you. And I want to see what God will do through people who will follow him no matter the cost. And so let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for the costly call of Jesus Christ to follow him wherever he leads us. And so, Father, would you help us, God, with thank you for the, for the people who, for the first time today, are saying, hey, I'm going to give up my own way of life to follow Jesus, to commit my life to following him. We celebrate with them the life that you are giving them here today. And God, for every single one of us, for, especially for those that, that raise their hands, that are, that are, that are just hearing your voice today saying there's more for them, that there's more that they want to chase after more, more of Jesus, less of themselves. God, would you fill them with your Holy Spirit to, to lay down their lives every single day to experience all of who you are. And God, the rest of us pray that same prayer in Jesus' name.